Well, when I was a kid, we watched TV, but it wasn't like now. It's interesting that, that kids growing up don't have a frame of reference for just watching what's in front of them because there's nothing else on. Because it, everything's on demand, so you can watch whatever you want. You, you can watch it a thousand times. You can watch it once. You can find something new. It's, it's, a, it's a different world, but, but many of us remember, and some of, some of you remember that there were just like five channels, but as I was growing up, there were, there were only a certain number of shows, and, and I remember because of that, uh, flipping through and seeing, I can't remember the name of it, but it was this road show where they would, where they would auction things or they would uh, identify the value of certain items. And so you'd have this, you know, this older lady or this older gentleman, and they have this, this little trinket, and he, yeah, you know, my dad gave this to me when I was a kid, and, and I've had it around, and it's a little, you know, army figurine, and the, the, the professional would look at it and like, oh, yeah, and point out, you know, you can see from this, uh, the color and, and the type of uh, chinks here that this, it's this kind of metal, and, and you can see from the, the, the fading in, in the paint that it's this kind of paint, and actually this is from the, you know, 1600s, and uh, it's worth a billion dollars, and the guy's freaking out, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sell this thing my dad gave me. I don't care. Give me the money. It's awesome. Uh, and, and what you find out is that these people had these, some of them, not all of them, but some of them had these treasures that they were not even aware of. And it wasn't until they, they had a different perspective about what they saw that they could really appreciate it. Um, how they responded to what they had really depended upon what they understood about what they had. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's stand together. We're going to read Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 2. I was like, eh, okay, all right, Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born." Of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me the word that I too may come and worship him. And list to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the gift of your son. And God, I pray that as we consider your word, what Matthew has recorded for our remembrance, that you would open our eyes all the more to see Jesus for who he is. God, would you show us the wonder of Jesus the King? Lord, the King of the Jews who would become King of all. God, we thank you that you have placed Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And that means that he is above us. And so would you help us as we consider these these different individuals and their responses to the entrance of your king, would you help us to see how we respond and help us to respond accordingly? Lord, we pray that you would, you would speak to us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, a bit like the the show that I talked about with the antiques, the antique roadshow, um, this story illustrates this principle for life that how you respond to Jesus depends on whether you see him as a, as a king worthy to be worshipped or as a threat to your own throne. I'll say that again. How you respond to Jesus depends on whether you see him as a king who is worthy of your worship or a threat To your own throne. And we see two different groups here relating to Jesus in different ways, and they they illustrate this reality for us. You see the the Magi or the the wise men, and then you got Herod the Great. Now it's it's this is a fascinating story because when you think of of Jesus and, and we think about the promises that were given to Israel, the promises were given to Israel, the promises of God's blessing of him making them a nation, of him multiplying them. These were blessings that he gave to this people specifically. And, and by this time, many of the Jewish people had, had really begun to have this myopic view of the mission of God. They, they didn't understand that God had promised to, to bless Abraham, or bless Abraham and his, his children because they were to be a blessing to the world. They kind of just stopped at, I'm going to be a blessing to you and your people. And so... Here, right at the forefront in in Matthew, which is what we might even say is is the Jewish gospel, it's the gospel that's written from a Jewish perspective to a Jewish audience. It's got some of the most most allusions to prophecy, and Matthew is speaking to those individuals who would be familiar with the Old Testament, that one of the first stories he incorporates as people who properly respond to Jesus are pagan astrologers. It's, it's a, it's, I was talking to my son about it this morning. You, you look at this story and you're like, but Jesus, isn't astrology not a, not a good thing? And I'm going to go ahead and say that. Don't take from this that, you know, let's pick up the times and, and see what it says about a Gemini. That, that's, that's bunk. It's not good. Don't do that, please. But it's fascinating that God chooses to use this people, these, these individuals, to express his value and his glory and at the same time, those individuals who'd have been, who should have been most familiar with the, the promise and the prophecy of who Jesus was to be, where he was to be born, what he was to do, those were the people who, they just they missed it. 
So you've got these pagan astrologers from the east, probably from Persia or, or Babylon, and they were searching for the king of the Jews. We don't have a lot of uh, in- information about them. I mean, it's, it's interesting that Matthew's kind of, he just puts it out there and, and doesn't seem to feel there's a need for much explanation. These were men who were seeking not only to find Jesus, but as we'll find out, they were seeking to worship Jesus. And then you have Herod the Great. This is the first Herod after, of many Herods. Philip and, and or, uh, the, the Paul and, and the other apostles would be um, persecuted by some of his, his children, grandchildren. But this is the great Herod. He was a very effective leader. He had built a great deal in, in Judea. He ruled over Judea. He was uh, half Jewish, half Idumean. And so he wasn't even really properly supposed to be the king. But because uh, he had favor with the Roman Empire, they had made him king. But he was also very wicked and protective of his throne. And we'll see that later on. But as I said, we can learn something about the different ways that they respond to Jesus. Because how you respond to Jesus de- depends on whether you see him as the king whether, worthy to be worshipped or a threat to your own throne. So look, look at verses 1 through 3 with me. He says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, came from the east, uh, sorry, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now these, these wise men, they were not wanderers, but I would say that they were wanderers. They were wanderers. They had seen their, through their astrological observations that a king had been born. Again, Matthew just puts it out there. He didn't explain it. We don't understand the theology of it. Is this okay? Should we look at the star? He's just like, well, they found the Jesus star, and somehow they surmised that Jesus was also going to be the king, of, or he was born the king of the Jews. He was, the, he was in the line of David. He was the rightful king. These are some of the things that made Herod nervous, and they were searching for him. And, and, and right at this point, we need to recognize that Jesus, though they call him king of the Jews, is king of all. Because they don't treat him as king of the Jews alone. They don't treat his kingdom as, as relegated to the, the kingdom of Judea. But they come from their own country to come and what? Pay homage and worship. Something that you don't do if you don't recognize the kingship of another leader. But you do do if you recognize that's the king. And, and they're following this star. Which again... Whatever, whatever we can understand about, about what they were doing, we know that God was sovereign. I, I quoted at the beginning of service out of, out of uh, Psalms chapter, Psalm chapter uh, 148, and I'll, I'll read it once more. But it says this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels and his hosts. And it goes and says, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters above. The, the implication is that God had created and was sovereign over these, these bodies, and therefore they ought to express praise and glory through their existence. The, the stars respond to God's sovereignty. And so the fact that the, the Magi find this star and, and they're, they're led to Jesus is not uh, some serendipitous circumstance. It's not a coincidence. It is the, the hand of God at work. 
Ask me about the science of it, I, I can't answer you, but I know that, that God was at work in the lives of these magi, which means that he was at work in bringing these pagan, Gentile individuals to be some of the first to encounter the power and the presence of this God who is now embodied in a human body with a fully human nature. They were following the star that had led them to Jerusalem, and there they encountered Herod. And while the the Magi's were wanderers, we see that Herod is a wary king. When the Magi discovered that a king had been born, they sought out to worship him. When Herod found out, it says that he was troubled. He He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, we don't know exactly why Jerusalem was troubled. It's possible that all Jerusalem refers to the leaders who were kind of part of Herod's cadre. And, and because of that, if Herod's leadership is in danger, their leadership's in danger. It's also equally possible that it's talking about all Jerusalem. And if Herod finds that there's, there's another king who's, who's threatening his throne, that things are going to go badly for the people of Jerusalem. And so they're worried as well. But we see that he is not wandering. He's not wondering. He's wary. He's wary. He ruled over the Jews. He did not need or want another king, especially a king of the Jews. He was the king of the Jews. And he worried because if these magi were correct, then there was a threat to his throne. See, anyone who recognizes Jesus seriously must recognize the fact that he is a threat to our thrones. You and I, we're born with what we've called a sin nature, a bent a brokenness, it's more than a brokenness like, oh, I'm so sad, I, I, I broke my, my arm and, and that was a terrible accident. No, there's, there's a willful twisting about who we are. And if you, if you don't believe me, ask any parent when they taught their kid to say no. And, and it doesn't matter the language, it doesn't matter the situation, I don't even think it matters whether they can speak or hear, they learn how to disobey naturally. There's so many things they don't learn to do naturally, uh, many of which we don't want to talk about, that we have to help them along with, that, w- that we think, you know, it'd be really great if you naturally learned how to not use your diaper. But no, we have to train them. But you don't have to train them in disobedience. They're real good at it. Born professionals, amen. Amen. And lest we think ourselves free from that, you don't grow out of that as much as our parents had prayed and wished that we would. We, we all have this sin nature, and, and another way of thinking about, it, thinking about it is that we all really enjoy being on the throne of our own lives. We love calling the shots. You know, I, I've, I've mentioned this story before, but there was this one time I was on, on the blacktop of uh, the neighborhood that I lived, there was a basketball court, and we weren't playing basketball. Somehow, our interactions, me and a few other guys, the kids, it had devolved into us playing a game and trying to figure out who was, like, going to lead the game. And so it was like, okay, well, I'm the captain. And then someone else was like, well, I'm the president. Okay. And then someone else was like, let's get international with this. I'm the king. And it just, that was the the new game, was who's in charge? Because there's something in us that wants to be in charge. 
You may have no desire to lead in your corporation or, or lead in the world, but there's something about wanting to be able to call the shots and have control of your own life. You know, I, I remember talking to my father-in-law and talking about how, you know, I, I, I like being spontaneous and, and uh, you know, I'm a spontaneous person. And he's like, well, we're all pretty spontaneous with our own. We're, we're comfortable with our own spontaneity. It's when other people are spontaneous that it becomes problematic. Because we're fine with leading ourselves, but we're not fine when other people lead us. You may not have a title, you may not have subjects, but we all seek to rule over the details of our own lives. And if you don't wrestle with that reality, you won't appreciate what God calls us to. And if Jesus is a universal king, if he's not just king of the Jews, but he's king of the the Gentiles and king of the Americans and king of the whoever, then that means he must be king over our own lives. Do you see Jesus, or this whole, this whole God thing as a threat to your own throne? That's, that's the question we're thinking about. Let's look at how, how Herod responds. It says that when he heard this, he was troubled, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Uh, They're quoting out of Micah chapter 5 verses 2, and there's a reference to verse 4. And and then Matthew does this interesting thing, and he's allowed to because he's writing scripture, where he kind of uh, adds in some commentary himself. So if you go to to Micah 5, that's him, Micah 5, 2, and you read it, you'll see that it's not exactly the same. And part of that's because Matthew's providing some additional commentary. But it says that they told him that he, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then what does he do? He summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And, and when I first read that, I was like, why would he do that? Why is he trying to find out when it first appeared? Well, if this is the, the Jesus star, if this is the star that identifies that the king has been born, then he wants to find out how recently the king had been born, and if you were to continue on, in order that he could find out how many people he has to kill. He's, he's a wicked and evil man who wants to protect his throne and eliminate the threat to his throne. He tells them to go. He sends them to Bethlehem in verse 8 and says, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bringing me word that I too may come and worship him. But he has no intention of worshiping. And, and this sounds stark. It sounds dark. It sounds wicked and evil. And we think, oh, he's a terrible man. But don't we do this? Don't we come to church on Sundays and say, say to one another, oh, let's, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. But then Monday comes and we get angry about that thing. We have the attitude that we, the attitude of, of discouragement and, and com- complaining and, and murmuring, and we, we, we keep that attitude. We don't, we don't bring that to the Lord and say, God, would you help me? No, but we, we hold it closely, and, and we say, I'll, I'll worship you, God, but, but in this area, I'm going to be king. When it comes to this offense, I, I'm going to be in charge of this offense, God. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to trust your justice. I'm going to trust it and keep it. This, this one sin that I keep going to, to, to bring relief, to bring help, to bring comfort. This, this thing that I keep 
pursuing, I'm going to keep that in my life. Yes, let's go worship the Lord, but in my heart, I'm going to be the king of the throne. He has no intention, intention of worshiping God. But the, the Magi go nevertheless. It says in verse 8, um, that they go, sorry, uh, verse 9, after listening to the king, he, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They, they, that's, that's a lot of joy. There's excitement, there's passion, there's happiness. They've come to the place that they've been looking for. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. I have bad news uh, for those of you. I feel like there's been some press on this, but the Magi were not there on the night that he was born. Um, it's okay. We just let your nativity, just, it's fine. I've got the kings there too. Not a big deal. It looks nice. But the reality is Jesus was probably like one or two, toddling around. Mom, mom was probably pretty tired. <laughs> and, uh, and they come and they see this baby, this little toddler boy, and they come down and prostrate themselves. They, they, they lay down in front of him expressing reverence and honor and, and his worth. And they worship him. They no longer need to search. They no longer need to seek for signs like a star. They, they did what was appropriate in the presence of a new king. Have you ever had that experience of, of you're your talking kind of comfortably with, with your friend or your coworker and then someone of importance walks in? You're like, and you change? And all of a sudden you start talking in old English? <laughs> you, you finish your sentences. You don't, you don't use any contractions. Rather than saying, I, you said one. One would be very excited to have the presence of the so-and-so here. And all of a sudden, you have this terrible English accent. Because there's something about greatness that causes you to act differently. And this, is, this, is why, this is why I wear a, a, a blazer on. I don't wear blazers. I wear hoodies. But, but there's something about standing here and, and recognizing that, you know, as casual as our culture is, we want to take it up a notch for, for the Lord. Amen? Amen? And they respond in worship. They, they, don't, just, they don't just honor him. They, they show his worth in their, their body, their posture. They worship him. But they don't just do that. They also sacrifice. It says, it says in verse 11... Then, opening their treasures, I love this, they had treasures. I wish, the kind, I wish I had the kind of life where I carried a box of treasures. I'm thankful for credit cards and, and banks and things like that, but so wouldn't it just be nice some days just to have a big chest of treasures with the, just the kind of gold kind of, anyways. Um, they had their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were, these were gifts of value. They expressed uh, a, a willingness on their part to sacrifice and to show something of the honor of who he was. You know, when we go to the when we go to out to eat, you tip your waiter, and, and some of that tip is supposed to be an expression of, oh, you know, you did a good job. Thank you so much. And the more you tip, the the more you think they did a good job. And there are other places where you 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 give your money 
as a way of showing how much you value the thing that, that's in front of you. I mean, we, we do this with houses. You're like, I want that house. And that's a high value. You know, we, we, our money, how we use our money expresses something about what we believe about the value of the thing that we're sacrificing for. And they, they gave as, a, as an expression of their worship. They weren't just saying, you know what, we think you're awesome, so we're just going to bow down. But no, they wanted to give a lasting impression of their worship. And, and there have been suggestions about what these gifts might symbolize, and, and we could talk about that. But Matthew doesn't seem super interested in that, and so I'm not going to. But the point that I think Matthew wants to make for us is that they gave items of great value because they found Jesus to be very valuable. And so when you look at your life, I wonder, what is, what is your, the use of your resources, the use of your time, the use of your energy, what does that say about your, where you value Jesus to be? You know, it, the new year's rolling in, I wonder how many of you are thinking about new resolutions. Have you thought about reading the Bible every day? I've heard people say, I don't have time. Well, you probably do. How, many, how much time do you spend watching TV? What do you, what do you value? Anyways, they, they valued Jesus a lot. And it says that the, the Magi being warned of Herod returned home another way. I love this about God. He, he's like, he, Jesus is going to run into some trouble, but this is not the time. I'm just going to talk to these these magi, they'll listen to a star, so certainly they'll listen to my dream, and he sends them on a different way. How, how, this, this story is super outrageous. Uh, you might be tempted to think, oh, that, you know, nice story. I mean, if you've grown up in, in, in church, if you've been driving around, you see Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph and the nativities, and you see the, the three wise men, um, you've sung the song, We Three Kings. Good song, by the way. It's a great song, great lyrics. Um, but, but we're in danger being so familiar with this story that we might not recognize just how outrageous it is. I, I want you to think about how outrageous it is that astrologers from another land would somehow know that a king had been born. They would seek out that king, and then they would worship him. I mean, that's... That's outrageous. That's crazy that they would travel miles and miles and miles, bringing their treasure, coming with a, a cadre of individuals, and they would worship this, this toddler because of something they saw in the star. It's, it's bizarre. It's okay for you to understand that this is bizarre. It is bizarre. There's something noteworthy about what's happening. How outrageous is it is that the, despite the fact that the chief priests and, and the scribes knew where to find the promised king, it doesn't seem like any of them went with the Magi, right? You had these guys who just show up in town. They're like, we heard that the king of the Jews was born. Can you guys help us? And, and Herod comes and he gathers all the smart people, all the theologians, all, all the seminary teachers, and he says, okay, what does the Bible say about where the, the, the Messiah, the, the one who is going to be king, is going to be born. And they look it up, and they're like, okay, well, the commentary is in. Okay, it's going to be Micah 2. Okay, Micah 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, are by no means least, before from you shall come a ruler. You know, we think it's going to be Bethlehem. 
And, and like the, the hard-hearted eggheads that they are, they don't do anything about it. Why? Did they just not recognize that they needed to know the Savior? Had, had they become so familiar with the, their theology that it had no real impact on their lives? That, that's, that's a danger that I face, and, and you probably face, of, of becoming so uh, familiar with the rules and the doctrines and the, the, the stories of the Bible that you don't actually step back and say, okay, but what does that mean for you, Eddie? It's It's outrageous. The only, the only response in this story that makes any sense to me is, is Herod's. Here's a, a suspicious, unscrupulous king who wants to protect his own throne rather than submit to a greater king. I can relate to that. I, I don't want to let other people be in charge of my life. That's not fun. I don't want to be told that I'm wrong. That doesn't, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't want to be told that I can't fix my own problems. This is America. I can fix anything with enough money and, and, and know-how. No, but, but I can't. And, and as I said, as we listen to the story, we're in danger if we miss the fact that this is such an outrageous thing. You know, Matthew isn't writing so that, that we'd have a nice Christmas pageant. I mean, we're going to have Christmas Eve, and, and we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph, and there'll be a moment with the kids, and it'll be fun and cute, and I, I think I'm going to get to hold a baby, baby goat, TBD. We'll see. It's always a, it's a blessing, curse kind of gamble thing. Um, wrap them in a towel and hope for the best. And, and, and there are trappings to Christmas that are a lot of fun, but, but Matthew's not writing so that we can have a lot of fun. He's, he's giving us a contrast between the response of the Magi and the response of Herod. Even in some of the language, it talks about the king of the Jews, and it talks about Herod the king, because he wants us to see that, oh, there's a conflict here. And we're all fine when someone else is in charge, as long as not, they're not a threat to our own throne. We're all fine if someone else is in charge, as long as they're not a threat to our own throne. I, I love you. You're, you're wonderful people, but you, we all have a little bit of Herod in us. We all have a little bit of Herod in us. You might have come to church and say, yes, I worship. You know, they were saying, let's sing hallelujah, praise the Lord. And you may have sung it, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But what about when that worship demands that, that you say no to your own desires? I know that that's hard for me. You know, just the other day, I was like, ah, I really want to go eat at this restaurant, but it wasn't going to work out. Our family wanted to do something else, and, and I was getting frustrated. Because sometimes it's hard to say no to your own dumb desires. You may say that you worship Jesus, but what about when that worship demands that you sacrifice your time, your energy, and dare I say your money? What about when, when that worship demands that you live and act differently at your job? That maybe you defer that, that raise or that promotion because you know the, the kind of compromise that it's going to call for. Maybe it means you, you pursuing something completely different because you know that the industry that you're in and, and, and the government, or the, not the government, I don't know what kind of slip that was, but we'll just keep moving. Um, 
And, and, and the situation that you find yourself in is one that doesn't allow for you to walk in integrity. What about when you read something in the Bible that offends your sensibilities or goes against what's popular? You know, we come to church on Sunday and we're like, yes, we're Christians. We believe in X, Y, and Z. Then we go to Starbucks and we're like, I'm a Christian. I believe in X, Y, and Z. And, and we're, not, we're not as willing to, to acknowledge the things that we believe. And I'm not saying go to Starbucks and be a jerk, but I'm just saying that our worship needs to extend into these other areas. You see, Matthew invites us to go beyond wondering about Jesus, to go beyond being wary of the threat that he is to our throne. He invites us to worship. And, and as this Christmas season progresses so fast, so hectically, so chaotically, I just don't want you to miss the opportunity to worship because God is good and, and the, the response of the, the Magi is so appropriate. When they saw the star, which had stopped, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They understood in this moment something significant is happening. And family, when it comes to Jesus in your life, something significant is happening. He came and he lived this perfect life that you and I should have lived. And as we'll find out at Easter, he died on the cross for our sins in our place, defeating all our enemies and offering eternal life to anyone who would trust in him. But it all started here. And, and at his birth, we were all put on notice. There's a threat to my throne. Am I going to be wary or am I going to worship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I come to you, we come to you as those who, who really cherish our own thrones. We cherish the control and the, the autonomy that we have. And Lord, I recognize that, that that desire to keep control, to keep autonomy, to be our, the, king, the kings of our own life is sin. And God, I pray that that you would grant us the kind of repentance that would allow us not just to, to say with lip service, I worship you, but, but would really allow us to step off of our own thrones and to, to fall down and worship like the Magi, the king who really ought to be on the throne. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your own Lord and Savior, as the king of all, and today you want to trust him you recognize him no longer as a threat to your throne, but the one to be worshipped. If that's you, could you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Well, family, we pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us this Christmas season not to get lost in the weeds, not to get lost in the, in the chaos and, and, and the fun stuff and the family and friends, but Lord, would you help us to worship as well? Help us to remember that you are worthy of everything. You're worthy of our sacrifice. You're worthy of our obedience. And Jesus, would you be lifted up? God, we want to honor you as we remember your advent. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Love you, family.